Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wadbo's most underappreciated work, five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. Thanks, Ruben. Uh, so today, right. <laughs> so today we're tackling damages two point two. Mm-hmm. So let's just get straight into it, I guess. Yeah. So damages two point one ended with Blake making an offer of uh, am- of demonic amnesty for three people, and we we kind of see the immediate follow up to that. Um, yeah. Basically, <laughs> everybody is-, <laughs> is trying to keep their cool, but has some minor tell that they that they're you know spooked by it. Yeah, um, and, and so I mean, he specifically points out the Duchamps as as being good at hiding their emotions. Yep, um, makes sense. Which I guess makes sense. Uh, yeah, I could see it going the other way too. Presumably, when they're so focused on magical relationships, I could see them sort of not really focusing as much on physical tells, so mm. and not caring themselves. But um, I mean, also the, the kind of character that's like puts a lot of effort into like seeding charts but isn't good at actually having human relationships uh yeah i yeah i guess um <laughs> just yeah, as the, a you know <laughs> an example <laughs> um yeah just focused on other things than than their facial expressions yeah. but um i mean i guess you have to be good at you we it just seems like having a good poker face is critical in in yeah. the, in the world of practitioners so it makes sense i don't think i'm i don't think i'm ever going to get sick of of just how much of being a practitioner is like acting cool yeah (laughs) Yeah. um Um, and i mean i i also like he he specifically points out like johans is smiling um mm. because the whole thing and then maggie kind of leans forward interested and like those are constantly the two sort of outsiders that he's been getting told uh are more trouble than they're worth but they're sort of the only ones who seem even remotely (laughs) interested in dealing with him but I mean, the person who's telling him that they're more trouble than they're worth are what, like Laird, and I guess no, the, exactly. maybe the book, Granny's book, right? Yeah, Rose. But, Rose alluded to Johan specifically. It doesn't really seem like she even had much to say on Maggie, but yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, and we'll kind of get into this a bit later in the arc as well uh, in the chapter. But um, when when there's so kind of established, powerful families. Johannes and Maggie, who aren't that, are obviously going to be, you know, the outsiders and the chaotic ones. But they're also, for Blake, who is also an outsider, they're the most likely people to want to band together with him because they're, you know, not established and powerful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Blake sort of brings this up later in the chapter. I guess I'm skipping ahead. But like, uh, I think Rose specifically calls out that Blake is technically part of the old guard to Maggie. And Maggie's <laughs> yeah. just sort of like, yeah, but are you though? Like, you clearly, yeah, you're you all alone. <laughs> you're all alone yeah. and you know fucking nothing. Um, which I thought was yeah. was a great little moment. Uh, yeah. So uh, the immediate follow-up to Blake's making his offer is Ava, who's one of the witch hunters, basically asks, hey, can I interpret that as a threat so I can kill Blake? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, man, like, Ava's... Interesting, an interesting character. Um, yeah, I mean, she seems pretty violent, which I like. Um, yeah. it, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm already pretty interested to learn more about her. Um, yeah, uh, but it, this really but sells me. Oh, yeah, so this <laughs> yeah, really sells sorry. me on the whole idea Rose had about wanting to become a witch hunter because mm. it seems like they're pretty crazy powerful in that they seem to be immune to a lot of stuff. Like the fact that these two are just sort of willing to execute people and everything for the practitioners yeah. in the area and and they're so confident about everything mm. seems to imply that witch hunters have pretty solid protections so mirrors may have been onto something there well 
I, I think that, that they definitely have – you see their advantages here, but the disadvantages, they're, they're like empowered by the other people in the town, right? Like if no, they didn't true. have the kind of implicit support of everybody else, especially the, the Bahams and the Duchamps, it, it wouldn't really work. And so I, I think Blake and Rose's idea of becoming witch hunters, I don't know, it, it wouldn't work in the same way as, as these two witch hunters do because they wouldn't have the support of the town. No, but, um, but obviously the fact that they can just go into practitioners' houses and they can kill people <laughs> during the council meeting, which yeah, apparently yeah. no one else can do, uh, is a yeah. pretty big sign that, yeah. yeah, they've got you know they've got some real advantages up their sleeves. Yeah, I wonder if Blake and Rose hadn't awakened, you know, would they have been able to kind of mess with the council meeting, or maybe there's some some other things going on there. Um, mm. Anyway, let's let's continue because we've been talking about this first paragraph for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th- basically, people start reacting to to uh, Blake's offer and he kind of sees them starting to negotiate and plan and and so he kind of starts to panic a bit and he he throws in another deal and another impulse that he didn't even run past Rose this time um which was he he basically says oh I'll protect you even if you try and come after me if you tell me who killed Molly reveal who killed Molly and you can fuck over me and I won't even do anything to you you know yeah, it it definitely comes from a, this deal comes from a place of security and confidence. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's a man. He it it is it does come across kind of desperate. And the thing I like about this is, you know, he brings it up, and and later on the, the people are kind of discussing the deal that he's offered. No one really mentions this other yeah. deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just almost immediately forgotten about by everybody. They're just like what is going on here with this guy yeah. yeah and i mean like there's a right before he sort of gives the deal he sort of goes oh, i have um something else to say and then there's <laughs> there's actually like an ellipsis drawn in the text and then yeah. he just kind of throws it out there so i think it was pretty obvious to everyone that this was just him throwing something out yeah. last minute and nobody even seems to have taken it seriously hmm yeah he's really off the cuffing it here um so blake was obviously hoping that this these deals would sow some disharmony amongst all the all the practitioners, but Laird just kind of immediately set starts planning out who should take it and who shouldn't take it, and and like how to maximize the advantage that Blake has just opened himself <laughs> up for here, um, which is great. Laird Laird says, "Oh, you know, I reckon my family's fine. The Duchamps, yeah, we're probably fine. Mag- Maggie, Johannes, Briar, Girl, Mara, you guys should probably take it." And he's like trying to pressure them into taking it and because he wants them to take it they're like no no we won't take it we won't take it and blake's just kind of like fuck yeah laird does a great job of turning this into a situation where it's pretty clear if they had taken it he'd be fine with it and when they don't take it well then it just means that blake's achieved nothing so uh he turns around and and this is our first uh, this is the first time i can think of where we've seen large groups of practitioners really interact um You know, so there's like you're constantly seeing all this double speak, and but then also because everyone has to tell the truth, sometimes there isn't anything you can double speak. So people just say stuff, like you know, when Maggie calls out that Led's probably setting a trap to for them by telling them to take it, he's just kind of like, well, yeah, this is a trap, but it's mostly for Blake, um, which yeah, is just the, exactly. the like the casualness <laughs> and confidence of that statement is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Laird as, I'm not going to say a villain, but as a character, you know, he's just like, 
<laughs> sometimes he's just so on the level. It's very fun to interact mm. with. Yeah, um, so far I wouldn't really classify any of the practitioners we've seen as really villains or heroes. It's just a selfish world, yeah. and everyone's just kind of selfish. It's There's no heroes or villains. Yeah, totally. it's, just, it's just everyone looking out for themselves, mostly. Yeah. Um, so the only real thing that Blake's deals have, have done after Laird successfully diffuses them is he accidentally offends Patrick, um, and and clearly this uh, the, Patrick's upset by this and Laird sees the value in keeping Patrick, you know, roughly on side and kind of has to rapidly try and do some negotiations to save face. Um, but he doesn't do very well at it. No. <laughs> he kind of mess. He, he's trying to like offer things in Patrick's like, mm, nah, not going to go for that. <laughs> um, so eventually uh, Sandra, the, the kind of head of the Duchamp family, steps in to help him out. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, this was a risk that Blake took just sort of jumping in with everyone yeah. that, like he had no idea what was happening um yeah and he I, just kind of locks out to this one bad thing which they just easily smooth o- smooth over yeah but like it's easy to think maybe it's just hindsight or we're kind of outside of the story so we can think more clearly about this but if blake had kind of thought more about this plan even even if he had just had it at that moment he, he could have done it in a better way right like he didn't have to run up and do it immediately. He could have approached people individually during the three hours after the council meeting and and make these deals to them individually so they don't know – they can't, like, immediately collaborate or, or stuff like that. And, like, maybe it wouldn't have worked, but it does feel like it would have had more of a chance at success. Yeah. Well, he had no idea how these council meetings worked. So, like, yeah. you know, he got caught off guard by something that he might have known if he just waited, you know, a little bit longer to, to have a crack. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being too hard on him, but it does feel like just slow down, Blake. Like that was an okay idea, but you kind of messed it up by by rushing into it. Yeah. Um, we we get <laughs> in the bit where Laird is uh, is kind of trying to save face with Patrick. We get I think my favorite line so far, where uh, Patrick accidentally confuses Laird with his dad, whose name is a- Amon. Um, and Laird corrects him, and Patrick says, Eamon, Laird, lame Earhart, no matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this beautiful little wordplay that's like, man, that's tight, Patrick. But that's totally the start of this, uh, yeah, I guess you you just call it a roast of Laird, mm. mm-hmm. um, where he just he just lists <laughs> yeah, off he, how long everyone in Laird's family has left to live, I think. Yeah, he's kind of like saying, oh, I'm eternal, so what is your amount of lives compared to mine you know you you'd be alive for like maybe 20 years your wife maybe 40 and then he gets more and more specific about each of <laughs> each of Laird's children to to the point that it's it's pretty clear that he's saying well this kid has that many years left to live this kid has that many years and it's just so stone cold yeah Man. and nobody really reacts to it like even Laird or his yeah. kids or anything which either tells me this is known or or they just know that it's some sort of bullshit I don't know I thought yeah, I thought like, others is couldn't it, lie. I, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, is it bullshit or is it just <laughs> like they're trying to save face? It, it's very, it, yeah. Either way, it's not not great for the for the Bahams. Um, anyway, uh, so so once the Laird has saved sufficient face with Patrick, the meeting kind of continues, and and we do a bit of a skip ahead because. Uh, well, no, there is one other thing that just kind of comes out of nowhere here, which is um, they call a vote to have Maggie executed for breaking the their equivalent of the statute of secrecy. Um, just out of nowhere. It's like, okay, next point of order, let's execute Maggie all in favor. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. And 
two people vote uh, for her. The Briar girl, who you get the sense would just vote to execute anybody. Yeah, um, <laughs> she just seems like a sort of uh, chaotic yeah. force, yeah. Yeah, but uh, one of the Baham uh, boys, young, like, teenage boys, also votes to kill her and then kind of looks back at her. And he and she, like, rolls her eyes at him. Um, did you get a, like, flirty vibe from this? Um, no, my first thought was that he was the target of whatever her uh, public magic was. Like, you know, she may uh. have just been... She yeah, may have like just that. been lightly fucking with him, like just some silly spell to make him trip, or I don't even know. But um, yeah, because the whole the whole thing's just so weird and casual and petty that that would fit yeah. in so well that it's just she just did some minor spell at one of the other ones, and so now she's basically there's a vote on whether or not to kill her. Um, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like your your suggestion for what it could be as well because then it it kind of does paint this picture of like she did some minor thing and the retaliation is well maybe we'll kill you for it yeah. and that's just kind of how the, the 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 wealth of power that these families have operates in this town. Mm. Um, I I also um you you seem to have skipped over the line where when the vote fails, uh the Duchamp lady leaves um, Maggie with a warning saying that, um, you know, she thinks that the vote might have failed because we're so soon after another execution, um, mm. which I think is just meant to make us think that maybe Molly was executed, um, mm. which I don't think quite adds up and seems too obvious. But, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I feel like that's a line that is meant to stand out and is going to come back later. Yeah, I don't know who else. I mean, we haven't been introduced to anyone else who's disappeared recently. So No, I can't think of any names in uh, Rosa's Black Book that were mentioned that have been missing or anything. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, if if so, that means the witch hunters are probably a pretty good candidate for, for Molly's <laughs> murderers. Um, so the meeting kind of skips ahead and, and ends, and then they, they call it to a close, and everybody uh, heads out. Um, Blake and Rose kind of start heading home and Johannes and Maggie just kind of walk up to them and, and start chatting to them, chit ch- just yeah. kind of idly chit-chatting. <laughs> yeah, while their goblin children throw each other at lampposts and stuff. Yeah, there's goblins, there's those weird little child ghosts that Johannes seems to just amass. Co- um, collect? <laughs> yeah, creepy. Collect, I think, yeah, you're right. Collect gives it the right vibe of creepiness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Johannes basically is talking to them and, and kind of half drip-feeding them information and half kind of offering to tell them things for a price. Um, and, and I get the sense that he's kind of trying to put himself in their good books to an extent by being not overtly helpful, but vaguely helpful. You know? um, definitely. I think he's also trying to get a read on them, like see how well they mm. think. Um, I think there's going to be a recurring theme in this book where conversations are trying to do more than one thing at a time. Uh, mm. And that's sort of the vibe I got here is he is kind of, he he comes across as helping them, but it's also, he's pretty clearly fishing f- to see what they do and don't know and what they can and can't figure out. Yeah. See what kind of, what kind of ways their minds think, you know? Yeah. Um, and actually on that line, there, there's a, there's a good bit in this conversation where Blake is kind of, it feels like the conversation's starting to wind up and Blake's ready to go. All right. Well, see you guys later. And Rose kind of prompts him to actually start pushing his own agenda a bit, um, <laughs> where she she says, speaking of, you have the one measure that was put in place. And she's kind of referring to the deals he offered literally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at most a few hours ago. And he's kind of already forgotten what what she's talking about. Um, 
this this little bit just really emphasizes to me Blake is so bad at deception. He's so he he just doesn't seem to suit this this world that much. And Rose is kind of prompting him to say, "Hey, start trying to do something, Blake." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, it it. I mean, we'll kind of get back to this a bit later, but it really gives me this vibe, this one moment in particular, that that Blake is just kind of out of place, and Rose is just so naturally better at at this part of being a practitioner you know yeah and i mean definitely you know she's had that extra time to study that might be that might be part of it but yeah Mm. blake just kind of seems to go with the flow a bit too much yeah he doesn't it doesn't seem like he actually is committed to putting into place any of his plans that he's been (laughs) starting to develop um anyway johannes leaves and takes most of the others the goblins and most of the goblins uh Blake and Rose kind of walk back with Maggie, and and she still has two big old goblins flanking them. Um, yeah. And actually, before Johannes leaves, he he points out, which is probably worth worth going over, that Ro- he says to Rose that uh, she would find good company if she visits him in the North End. And <laughs> Maggie kind of explains this is <laughs> yeah. Maggie kind of explains that the, the the North End is, and she describes it as like an other amusement park. Um, you get the implication there that they can seemingly just like hunt humans and do whatever the fuck they want up there, which is um, kind of crazy because, like, who's living in the North End? You know, like this is half of the town or something. Yeah. Like, are there just people there getting tortured all the time? And why yeah. is why is that not like national news? You know, like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, this really emphasizes just how much power Johannes must have having that big of an area as his domain if he's able to just kind of control it so effectively yeah mm. um <laughs> rose points out you know i'm not into that kind of thing <laughs> basically um and and uh maggie and, and blake and rose all start talking and and rose kind of asks maggie what she wants what what is she looking for to try and find a bargaining chip um and maggie's response is that she's relatively new she doesn't come from an old guard like the duchamps or the behames or the thorburns um <laughs> And she wants knowledge. Any, any, she, because she's from, because she's an outsider, she doesn't have any knowledge, and she wants to kind of amass power that way. Um, Blake yeah. says, "Hey, I'd be willing to make deals with you. you we have a big library." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a pretty sensible deal to try and make. I guess. I mean, I guess it depends what information he's going to give her. Um, mm. uh, like, because what what sort of happens is, you know, Blake asks Maggie what did Laird mean when he called her a terrorist. And she doesn't answer the question. She just sort of argues with about the definition of what a terrorist is, but doesn't necessarily yeah. say that um, she didn't do something terrible to earn that title. Yeah, and she kind of says, well, you know, by that definition of a terrorist, Laird is a terrorist and Sandra <laughs> is a terrorist. And it's like, well, yeah, and they've done bad things. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. We would want to know about the bad things that they had done that meant you could be able to say that and not be lying, right? Like... Sure, but there's got to be some kernel of of something there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a very unsatisfying answer, <laughs> but maybe we'll find out more about that later. Uh, so the other thing that Maggie says that I just want to point out is she says, if I could say anything crude, I'd say it now. I can't even allude to it. And she's trying to swear. She's trying to say that Blake kind of dangling the idea of a magical library in front of her has, has given her blue balls. Yeah. She can't swear. Um seemingly and and there's an earlier part in the in the chapter as well where where maggie swears by saying drat you and blake thinks about how weird it is 
Yeah, um, I, I, I like mean, it was a little character beat. As soon as it was pointed out how odd it was, I was like, oh, did she lose her ability to swear? And and it seems it goes even further than that, where it's just anything crude. And I mean, <laughs> and then poor Miro's is, is so innocent. And he's like, oh, you're feeling sad because you're blue, which is which is a, a little hilarious moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic Miro's. But yeah, I, like, I, I'm just assuming Maggie stuffed up early on in her, uh, you know, what is seems to be a solo career and accidentally lost the ability mm. to be crude, which is... Um, probably has a lot of potential to be hilarious as we've already seen. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so, you know, Maggie, they kind of get back to where they have to part ways. Maggie's goes one way and Blake and Rose head back to the house. Um, and as soon as they're alone, Blake has kind of be- been able to tell since they left for the council meeting that something's been wrong. And he, he yeah. asks how she's doing and <laughs> she doesn't really <laughs> answer. Uh, she, she just kind of dodges the question. And then compares their relationship to to a black slave being friends with the child of a slave owner as a way of kind of pointing out, you know, like, I'm fine, but we can't have a good relationship because there's just such an imbalance of power. Yeah. I wouldn't have really classified her as dodging the question so much. I mean, I, she kind of does, but she almost makes it worse because she's like, I'm not okay, you're not okay, we're not okay, like, as a pair, we're not okay. It's like she almost mm. makes it worse by pointing out all the different ways they're not okay before finally answering the question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know, because she she does kind of have a point here um, about mm. the power imbalance. I guess the difference in her analogy, I would say, is that a slave owner always kind of has the option to set a slave free. Uh, yeah. I don't know how Blake is meant to do the equivalent of that. Um, but yeah, like apart from that, I, I mean, I guess she has a point. Um mm. And, and I mean, especially because Blake's first thought after she has this kind of complaint is he just wants to remind her that she's meant to be playing ball, which is an oddly controlling yeah. kind of thought. Um, yeah, it, it gives you the vibe of just tugging on the leash a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it kind of proves her point that that was his first thought, but I, I don't know if he mm. quite clicks into that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little skeevy, isn't it? Um, mm. a- anyway, Rose Rose kind of points out what's on her mind, which is that she she's kind of found out about vestiges, the type of other called vestiges. And that's what Laird referred to her as earlier during the council meeting as well. Um, they are kind of flawed clones of people that can be molded. So their gender changed or their memories changed. And it seems pretty bang on for, for, for <laughs> ha- Rose's whole situation, right? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it does seem to be a very good explanation uh, for for what has happened here. Yeah, um, but the thing about vestiges is they are temporary, so they take more and more power to maintain, and will deteriorate over time, and implied dissipate or die or something. Um, yeah, at which point Blake yeah. sort of finds that out, and he's like, "I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gonna try and help you." And her response is, I don't yeah. need rescue Blake. And, and I mean, Blake and I sort of had the same response to that, which is kind of like, yeah, you do. Like, what are you, what are yeah. you talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I I don't know. It's so hard to get a read on Rose. She's clearly like having a rough time at the moment. And she's basically just found out she has a terminal illness, essentially. Um, and so you can understand that she's she's a bit on edge, but. Well, what what stood out to me really about the I don't need rescue Blake line is I can't really think of a way that that is not 
true and i thought she was meant to have taken this whole oath you know during her awakening so she shouldn't be able to lie so mm. either you know she has made that up and she can still lie or mm. um i don't know she knows something else or, uh, yeah it's just the whole thing is just it that 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 part stood out to me for that reason but mm. uh yeah definitely um apart from that the whole thing is just kind of like she's just in a shit mood because she's just basically found out she's got a terminal illness like you said and is trying to come to terms with that while being trapped in a mirror yeah 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 terminal kind of 2d-ifying illness of sorts <laughs> where it kind of cuts you off from the world i mean yeah anyway um yeah so blake's first reaction is i'm gonna help you right and and there's there's kind of two parts to it right there's definitely the part where he he does have this hero mentality like yeah um well he just wants to help her because it's the right thing to do um and he cares yeah. for her to uh, you know to some extent that definitely yeah. seems to be in his head that's his first thought is he just wants to help her for the right reasons yeah it, it is worth pointing out that's the first thought the second thought is i i need you <laughs> right yeah like, i think this chapter kind of points out in a few different places rose gets this world a bit better than blake does she's bailed him Mm. out of a few things she's asked the right questions she's put together some of the pieces um he needs her (laughs) like yeah like yeah and i mean she Um, points out that she only believes it because of that selfish second reason which since we're in blake's head we know probably isn't really fair but um whatever it takes i guess yeah i mean they're it seems like this is the way their relationship goes rose (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> realizes or, or tries to come to terms with another asset aspect of her terrible situation and Blake reaffirms like I'm I'm going to try and help you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so far it seems like it's just getting worse and worse. Yeah, well I mean um, in his defense there there do seem to be genuinely higher priorities constantly coming up. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um so the chapter ends next with them kind of making a plan of what their next move is going to be. They basically want to fuck with Laird to throw the Behames off their game. Um, and the idea they have is to basically leak that Laird has admitted in front of witnesses to knowing about the murder of Molly Walker in the hopes that he'll be taken in and interviewed and he won't be able to lie. And it, it'll probably not get him arrested, but at least fuck with him. Um mm. And then they have the idea of getting the behame children involved because they're not as good as like, I don't know how to describe it, lying while telling the truth. Yeah, or just <laughs> like, u- just using misleading phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they, they plan to somehow get the kids interrogated as well. Yeah, so at least they're putting a little bit more thought into this plan before enacting it, which is yeah. nice. Uh, like Rose actually yeah. gets to have input because I think bringing the children into it while a dark uh, part of the plan is is probably a good one. And... Uh, you know, that was her idea. I like that they now can, Blake can now be involved with thinking about a plan and not immediately have to execute it. (laughs) He can spend (laughs) some time planning it out and and shoring up the weaknesses. Yeah. Um, Uh, I I like his his response after Rose adds the children into it. uh, He's like, it's dirty. I said, I smiled. Dirty is good. And I'm just, again, (laughs) picturing Rose Senior smiling up at them from from wherever she is. From whatever bad place she's gotten herself into. (laughs) Um, yeah, and that's how the chapter ends. Yeah, so we're ending yet another chapter on uh, Blake scheming a plan, but this time <laughs> put, putting putting one uh, together a bit more before just implementing it on, on the fly. Yeah. This time actually getting Rose involved, right? Which yeah. I think is 
kind of the, the theme of this chapter a bit is <laughs> Rose Rose can help you like like use her a bit more, man. Yeah. She's good at this shit. Um yeah. So we will see how, how this plan unfolds in the future. Or maybe we won't. I don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> next. <laughs> Uh, so we, we wanted to dive into some of the comments from five years ago again, as we, as we do every so often. Um, I want to point out, <laughs> I, this wasn't one comment that I picked out, but a, a kind of number of comments and we're going to, we're going to talk about them here. Um, comments from a bunch of people, including Glassware, Chiro, Meister, Mayhem, and more basically talking about shipping, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, shipping is what it is let's not get into that but something about this story is um blake needs to get married in the next five years right like that was a requirement of of his continued existences if he doesn't get married in the next five years he's fucked yeah and 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 i think it specifically (laughs) says that he's meant to get married to a man um yeah but you know you're right wildbo has kind of uh, put the idea in our heads that Blake needs to find someone to pair up with. Uh, so yeah. this was an inevitable result. Uh, it probably would have happened anyway. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> not just that though. Is it, this story? Um, this story really sets up. These are the players in the story from from you know from the get go. We we literally have a. We've just had a council meeting where we meet all the major characters, right? Um, yeah. As far as we know. And so it's it's very easy to to take a look at all the people we've just met this chapter and and the fact that Blake needs to get married and and just be like, well, who's it gonna who's it gonna be? <laughs> um, so the two front runners at this point from the comments that I saw were Maggie, which makes sense because yep. she's roughly his age and an outsider. I, and, I actually uh, saw Johannes. sorry, I, I I saw one comment which was like Maggie um is one of the few age appropriate females like aside from mm. Rose. As if that yeah. clarification needed to be made, um, that she's not yeah. a candidate. Um, although I guess, you know, the Thorburn family has, has done similar things in the past, so maybe it is, <laughs> yeah, maybe it we is do know that. Yeah, we do know their family tree isn't as... Um, doesn't spread out as much as it should <laughs> sometimes. Uh, the, the other primary candidate, though, that's brought up is Johannes, right? Um, mm. He's a man, first of all, so that kind of fits the bill there, but... Uh, Grandma Rose specifically pointed out to find like a powerful bastard. Um, yeah, yeah. So he would seem to fit. That I just bill. liked, <laughs> I just liked how this story has been set up to promote shipping. Just <laughs> fun, just a fun little thing, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, okay. And so then I found a, a comment. I had to dig pretty deep to find a comment that didn't have something to do with just speculating on either shipping. <laughs> Or um or or just Rose and the nature of Rose in general. Um, mm. But I eventually found one uh, by Unmaker who pointed out that it, uh, a good candidate for Maggie's implement would be the little scrapbook she had with her. Um, mm. And I thought this was a really interesting insight because it, it maps very well with the idea that she wants knowledge because, um, you yeah. know, we, we've already seen how implements sort of reflect your way of going about things. Um and and yeah, so I just I just like that as as an insight uh, or a possible early insight into her character because um, it adds up to what we sort of know about her goals, um, which I thought yeah. was really cool. I, I especially like the idea of it's a scrapbook, so it's designed to to grow, right? Um, yeah, which is a very cool idea for an implement. Like, 
as you amass knowledge, your implement gets bigger and stronger and, and presumably you do too. And it's kind of this cool <laughs> feedback loop that would be very interesting to see uh, be realized. Yeah, I guess my only concern about it would be I, I think of books as being quite damageable. Um, you know, like it's quite easy to to break a book or rip out pages, which maybe doesn't yep. bode well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we'll see. This is all assuming that this this prediction is correct. Yeah, uh, we shall see. We shall see in our next episode, Elliot, when we cover <laughs> um, damages two point three. Yes, that's now, right. Now, when is that episode coming out again? <laughs> Cut here, cut here, cut here. That will be yep. on Friday snip, the snip, snip. 25th of January. Okay, um, Friday the 25th of January. So come come check back in with us then. Um, but Elliot, what if people don't want to have to manually check things? Is there some way to stay up to date of our episodes without having to just manually check the subreddit? You know what? I think there is. And that's to head to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or anywhere else where you can subscribe to MediaMD. Um and you can find the easiest way to do that is to just head to our website, uh, mediumdpodcast.com, uh, where you'll find the page for Deep Impact and you can subscribe to us there. Now, why is it called mediumdpodcast.com, Elliot, <laughs> if this show is called Deep Impact? What's going on there? Yeah, well, MediaMD is the name of our other podcast that we've been running for a few years. And in fact, if you're listening to this the day it came out, you have less than 24 hours to wait before the next episode of MediaMD, which... We'll be discussing Last Chance to See, a book by Douglas Adams and Mark, uh, longer surname that I can't remember how to pronounce. Carwardine. That's it. And it's at this point that I reveal that I actually knew the answers to those questions. (laughs) I was just setting you up, Elliot. Yeah, we'll be talking about Last Chance to See, which is a book that I prescribed. It's a fun book. You should check out this episode tomorrow when this comes out or it's already out if you're listening to this late which some people do <laughs> um if you if you want to uh read along with pact with us though um the best way to do that is read the story one one chapter at a time like we're doing it and then uh leave your thoughts in the discussion threads um we'll link the discussion threads in the show notes right down below this episode in that description bit that podcasts have yeah And I guess that's everything. We'll see you on the 25th, everybody, um, for Damages 2.3. See ya.